you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and open those up to the book of Exodus this morning. Exodus chapter 7, that's where we're going to be starting. Uh, and then we'll continue on through, toward the end, not quite all the way to the end of chapter 12. Um, but starting in Exodus chapter 7, where Tim left off last week. Um, and like I said, through the end of chapter 12. We're going to try, try to not spill that this morning. So... Uh, setting it down with the lid off. So keep me accountable. My goal this morning, so here's what I want to do. To start, I want to start by asking you all two questions. Okay, two questions is how we're going to start. And I'm hoping that these two questions will ser- serve sort of as a framework for us as we process through or, and as we go through these five chapters in the book of Exodus. So the first question that I want to ask you this morning is who is God? Question number one, who is God? The second question, what is God like? So the first question, who is God? The second question, what is God like? For some of you in the room this morning, or maybe if you're watching us online, we're glad you're here, you may find it easy to answer those two questions. Maybe when you hear them, um, you have an immediate answer that comes to your head. For others of you in the room or watching online, and if this is you, that's totally okay. Maybe you have no idea how you would begin to answer those questions. Who is God and what is God like? I would like to think, um, this is my pride speaking, confession. Um, I would like to think that I would answer those questions with some well-informed, theologically accurate, or deep and profound answer, but Knowing myself and knowing how I really am and how I really operate in my own self-assessment, if I had to guess, uh, I would probably over-explain or over-complicate those answers. If you disagree with me, just ask my wife, Hannah. Um, I tend to often do the over-complicating or over-explaining. So if there's one goal this morning, especially for myself, I'm hoping to answer these two questions, who is God and what is God like? in a way that first and foremost is honoring to God, but in a way uh, that isn't confusing or that isn't theologically wrong. Instead, my hope is that if I can answer these two questions well, then we can all leave here this morning encouraged by the God that we have already met who has revealed himself at the beginning of Exodus and the God who will continue to reveal himself through the ten plagues, And then that as we leave here, we can continue to consider for yourself as an individual or as a community or as a family what it looks like to be a follower of this God, or in the words of Jesus, the rabbi, to be a disciple. And so again, who is God? If you're taking notes, I'd maybe encourage you to write these down. Who is God? And then what is God like? If you're just joining us for the first time in this series, a quick little recap of the book of Exodus, what we've already been through so far. Exodus is just the continuation of a story that started in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. So if you flip all the way back to the beginning, um, we read about the creation of the world in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and then we read about the fall of humanity In chapter 3 and after that, the next seven chapters, uh, it kind of continues this spiraling downward of human history until in chapter 12 we're introduced to a man and a woman named Abraham and Sarah. And at the beginning of Exodus chapter 12, 
God says to Abraham after he calls him, he says, I am going to make you a father of many nations, and through you, I'm not only going to bless you, but I am going to bless the nation, bless the people around you through you. And so as the book of Genesis continues, we'll follow Abraham's family line who, after a severe famine and multiple generations, they end up leaving the land that God promised them, and they end up moving or migrating down south to Egypt. And so as Genesis ends, several hundred years go by, or you just turn the page or press the little arrow on the bottom right of your Bible app, and you go to the next book of the Bible. You go to Exodus, which is the series that we're in uh, that we started at the beginning of this month. And we read about the family line of Abraham living in Egypt, and they have grown into a great and mighty nation. Check off one of the things that God said that he would do through Abraham and his family line. It has now grown into a full nation. But instead of being a blessing, instead of being blessed and being a blessing, the Hebrew people, the Israelite nation, they are viewed as a curse and they are living as slaves to the Egyptian people and to Pharaoh. But despite all of this, Moses, our God, raises up a prophet for himself named Moses, who we've learned that he, along with his brother Aaron, and will be introduced here in a couple of weeks to his sister Miriam, God is going to use these three unlikely characters to bring the Hebrew people out of slavery and back into the promised land. Throughout these first seven chapters, Tim has pointed out that it is God moving through his people on behalf of his people. Which that leads us to the text that we're going to be in this morning, Exodus, um, starting in uh, Exodus chapter 7, towards the end of chapter 12. Um, but instead of reading five uh, whole chapters of the ten plagues, uh, maybe you have headers in your Bible, skim through those, read through, refresh yourself on those ten plagues. And I'm hoping that as we go through these plagues, it will help us answer those two questions that we have up here. Who is God and what is God like? So remember, God has called Moses and Aaron to go before Pharaoh and to demand that Pharaoh let his people go out into the wilderness so that they can worship their God. And if you're anything like me, you probably read this story from a Christian perspective or from a perspective that is at least pro-Israelite. And so it's hard to maybe empathize as to why Pharaoh would never let the Israelites leave. Um, put yourself in his sandals for a minute. If he were to let this huge piece of the economy just leave and go, imagine what that would do to the social structure of the Egyptian, uh, 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 Egyptian empire. And so Pharaoh refuses, and we read about him hardening his own heart or God hardening his heart. But either way, in refusing to listen, Moses and Aaron are in refusing to listen to Moses and Aaron and to let the people go. It so begins the first plague. And I'll have them up here on the screen just as a highlight for all of you guys, all 10 plagues. Um, so starting with the first plague, we've got the plague of blood, followed by frogs, gnats, flies, the plague on livestock, the plague of boils, the plague of hail, locusts, darkness, and then the last and maybe the worst one, the plague on the firstborn, the death of the firstborn child. Uh, and as you think about that one, that wasn't just, don't think of just little children, think of grown adults. Any of you in here who are the firstborn of your family, this would have been something that would have happened to you. 
But I want to point out and I want to focus in on why these specific ten plagues are so important. And in doing so, I think we'll get a, or we'll at least start to get a good answer to that first question, who is God? So I'm going to read you a quote to help give us some context by Peter Vogt. It's in one of his books called Interpreting the Pentateuch. Uh, Peter Vogt, he's a Ph.D. and associate professor of Old Testament at Bethel Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. And he says this. We'll have it up on the screens for you. He says, In every ancient Near Eastern society, the people, which is Egypt, ancient Israel, every ancient Near Eastern society, the people acknowledged and worshipped many gods. Many nations had a primary or patron deity they believed to be superior to the other gods, but they recognized the existence of other deities as well. The gods in ancient Near Eastern societies were different from what we think of when we think of gods, and certainly when we think of our god. They were far from perfect, being subject to infighting, jealousy among themselves, malice, and envy. Moreover, no single god was considered to be all-powerful. Since there were many gods, many felt that one needed to appease them all, even if there was one particular god to whom the person felt personal loyalty. So, a worshiper might offer sacrifices to many gods in order to avoid the wrath of the one that might be angry with the worshiper. And keeping this in mind, we then can better understand why most scholars, most people who for a living study the Bible, think that the ten plagues that we read about in the book of Exodus is viewed as a confrontation or a fight between the gods of Egypt and the God of Moses and Aaron and Israel. Up on the screen, we'll continue the ten plagues, uh, and if you follow the dotted line, you'll see some of the Egyptian gods that might have been associated with these plagues. So the plague of blood, when all the water turns to Nile, or when the, the water of the Nile turns to blood, that was an attack on the Egyptian god Noom, we'll call him Noom, Happy, and Osiris. And again, Peter Vogt says, he says, Thus the turning of the Nile to blood is a challenge to Noom, the guardian of the Nile, Happy, uh, the spirit of the Nile, and Osiris, for whom the Nile was the bloodstream. Similarly, the plague of darkness challenges the sun god of Re, as well as Atum, Aten, and Oris. And then the final plague, the death of the firstborn, it directly challenges Pharaoh himself, who was considered to be a deity. And then to end his quote, he says, Exodus portrays Yahweh, the God of Moses and Aaron, the God of the Hebrew people, as superior to the Egyptian gods who cannot control events or protect themselves or their devotees from the experience of the plagues. I know this isn't probably theologically right, um, but whenever I think about this, I think about the movie that came out a couple of years ago, Kong versus Godzilla, and just those epic battle scenes. Again, I know it's not right um, at all, but it is funny, and I do think of that. So, circling back to our first question, who is God? I think the author of Exodus is trying to communicate to us that this God that has revealed himself through the burning bush has revealed himself by saying that his name is I am. I think the God that is making these claims is also saying in the ten plagues that I am the supreme God. I am the God that is in control. The God that is acting on behalf of Moses and the Israelite nation is the one true God who has all power. 
the other gods that we may think are in control, it turns out have no power and have no control in comparison to the one God who hears the cry of his people and acts on their behalf. And through the sending of the plagues, the author of Exodus is telling us that Yahweh, the great I am, is the ultimate God. And this is a God worth following because this is a God who is truly in control. When I think about this God, when I think about Yahweh being the one supreme, ultimate, true God who has all control, I think about the temptations in my own life to become my own God. Maybe you're similar, but I often find myself worshiping at the temple of me, where I want to try to manipulate and control whatever it is that's going on around me so that I can maintain my own control or the illusion of the control that I think I may have or the comfort. Last month, I went on a weekend backpacking trip in Minnesota, and I think uh, I probably most realize how much I like control on trips like this. When we're out in the woods and there's a group of us, and it's, we wake up Friday morning, we hiked a little bit on Thursday, but we wake up Friday for our first full day of backpacking, and one of the guys that was in our group, he woke up a little sore, a little more tired than the rest of us, and we got not even to lunchtime, so maybe a couple hours down the trail, and he had to take his pack off, and we had to stop and take a, a pretty long break, and he was telling us how he didn't want to continue. He wanted to turn around and head back. And so as a result, we were like, no, let's just keep going. Like, we'll carry your pack for you if that will make it easier. And so we carried his pack. There's like seven or eight of us. We're putting his pack on. I'll carry it for an hour or whatever along with my own pack, another guy, so forth and so on. And as we continue through the day, this guy who now doesn't have his pack is also wearing out a little more quickly also. And we get to maybe around early evening, maybe five, six in the afternoon. And I, we're not hiking like a ton of miles, mind you. Um, we have to stop a little more frequently so that he can sit down and rest, catch his breath. Um, and it's in moments like that where I'm forced to literally bear the burdens of my brother that I realize just how much I like to be my own God where I realize just how much I like to be in control, how I want to do things my way, how I don't want to go hiking with someone who can't keep up with the pace that I want to go with, or how I don't want to, uh, in the words of Jesus, deny myself, pick up my cross or my brother or sister's cross and follow him. Knowing that God is God is one thing, but living in a way that recognizes God as God is another. So to answer our first question, who is God? I think the author of Exodus through the story of the 10 plagues is saying that God is God. The great I am is God. Yahweh is God. If you're in your Bibles, flip to Exodus chapter 10. I want to look at that passage that Sid read for us this morning before I came out. Um, and at this point in the story, seven of the 10 plagues have already come to pass. And Yahweh, God, is getting Moses and Aaron ready to initiate the eighth plague. And this is where we pick up in Exodus chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says this. It says, Then the Lord, Yahweh, in your Bible, when Lord is in all caps, that's referring to the personal name of God. So when Yahweh said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart in the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed many signs among them. 
and that you may know that I am the Lord. I think these verses begin to help us fill out this picture of who this God is and what this God is like. It's almost like a peek behind the curtain, if you will. And it reveals the motives of Yahweh, I think, uh, and the motives as to why God would send these ten plagues in the first place. If you've ever read through the Old Testament or if you've ever read through these narratives, you've maybe left wondering, how could God do this? Or why would God do something? Or maybe you've had the discrepancy, maybe you don't even want to admit it, but how is the God of the New Testament the same as the God of the Old Testament? But I think these couple of verses, they help us understand, like I said, the why behind God would do this. The why is so that the people will know that Yahweh, the one true God, is the one true God. And so that people will come to recognize and to know him, to follow him, and to worship him alone, to pledge their allegiance to Yahweh. And not just one generation, not just for us here in this room, but that by through the telling of the story of what God has done and passing that story on, generation after generation will also come to know this God and that we would be encouraged to remain faithful and loyal to God. In fact, most of us in this room are sitting here because we had someone come before us who told us about the goodness of this God. And we know if you keep reading through the Old Testament, the exodus from Egypt is going to be the central story that's going to guide this people group's identity. The Exodus account is core to answering that question, who am I? In fact, I think a lot of us could probably argue that the Exodus account for the Jew is their gospel. It's their good news. It's a story uh, that's a story about deliverance that spurs the people on to continue to hope in the nature of, and character of God. And while the Exodus story certainly does teach us to hope despite our circumstances, it also reveals to us a piece about the character of God. And so to begin answering that second question, if this is the one true God, well then tell me what is this God like? Then I want us to look at that passage that we've recited together as a church family the last two weeks at the beginning of our worship service. So flip over to Exodus chapter 34 if you're in your Bibles. Read it in your own Bible. Highlight it. Underline it. Exodus chapter 34, starting in verse 5 and through 7. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow and to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So what is this God like? What are the characteristics of this God. I think in this passage, one of the things we see is that God is just. God is just. Yes, God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He is a forgiving God, but God does not let the sin of creation go unpunished. God is just. 
All throughout Scripture, we read about a God who does not withhold his justice. From the very beginning, we read that God is the lone character in the Bible who can truly administer authentic justice. It's why God commands humans in the garden to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We as humans cannot eat from that tree because we as humans are not good arbiters of what is truly good and what is evil. God alone, the creator, knows what is good and evil. Therefore, it is God alone who can administer true justice unto his creation. And as you keep reading after Genesis chapter 3, almost every story is the same story just on repeat. It's humans, either on an individual or a corporate level, on a family level, who try to take the fruit and decide for themselves what is right and what is wrong. And when that happens, we end up with cities like Babel, Assyria, Babylon, Egypt. Even Israel themselves will turn into a nation who has perverted the justice of God and tries to do what is right in their own eye. This is what most of the Old Testament prophecy, our prophets talk about, and it's why God sends nations like Israel, like Assyria, like Babylon, to be vehicles of his justice. What is God like? God is just. And because God is just, God must deal with evil. When the sins of people or family or communities or the city get to be too much, The God that we see in the Old Testament acts. And that should be encouraging for us today as we look around and we see a broken and fallen world. Uh, As we all get older each and every day, our health slowly declines. But we have hope that one day God will come back and administer his justice. I love what John says in the book of Revelation. He says, He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And as much as God is just, God is also grace. So what is God like? God is just and God is grace. The Lord, the Lord, Exodus 34, the compassionate and gracious God. God is grace grace. When you read the story of the Exodus and the ten plagues, do not miss the fact that God gives Pharaoh multiple opportunities to relent and to let his people go. God does not send these ten plagues unannounced and for no reason. God, through Moses and Aaron, expresses his grace and gives opportunities for Pharaoh to repent or to turn away from what he was doing to acknowledge their sin, and to trust fully in the one true God, Yahweh. And what I, must, what I love most about God's graciousness is that it is an invitation to partner with him when it comes to redeeming creation. As followers of this God, we don't sit passively around waiting for what John described in the book of Revelation. No, one of the purposes, I believe, of the church is to partner with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is essential, to put things back as they were intended to be. We do not sit as followers of God on our hands. 
even beyond the events of the Exodus and Egypt, over and over throughout the entire canon of Scripture, we see a God who is quick to extend his grace and to give creation the opportunity to return to him in faithful loyalty. And so as I wrap up this morning, who is God? Well, God is God. And God is not just God over and above the Egyptian gods that we read about in the Ten Plagues, but God is also the God over sin and death. And because God is just and must respond to sin and evil, God takes upon himself the curse of sin. And he faces death head on and he overcomes it three days later through his son, Jesus. And it's because of God's ultimate grace and through the invitation of the Holy Spirit that we, in 2023, we get an opportunity to partner alongside this God in the renewal of the world. If there's one thing you hear today, one truth, the big idea, it's that the God we see in the ten plagues is the Jesus that we see on the cross. The God we see in the ten plagues is the Jesus that we see on the cross. All of this, the fact that Yahweh, the God of the Hebrew slaves, being the one true God, and the fact that Yahweh is just and grace, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus. And when you go from here this morning, when you leave and you go home, you go into your workplaces, to your schools, to your families— I hope that you will read or that you will remember this story of the ten plagues, and I hope that you will remember that the God we see here is not any different than the God that we see come and take on flesh and bone and hang on a cross for you and for me. It's Jesus that we see enter into the broken and fallen world, yet instead of condemning us to exile and punishment, Jesus takes upon himself the ultimate exile and punishment. The God we see in the ten plagues is the Jesus we see on the cross. And as Jesus hangs on the cross between two criminals, he dies. And it's in this that we see the God of the Exodus in flesh. No longer is it a God speaking through a burning bush or a cowardly man and his brother. No, God has now taken on flesh. He has come to dwell amongst his creation. He has bound himself in time through the person of Jesus. And in becoming human, this God has displayed his divinity. And over and over again, we see the justice and grace of God on display in the person of Jesus. And so as we enter into this time of communion, I want to read for us a passage from Paul that he wrote to the church in Philippi. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the, may, the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, amen, amen, and amen. And so this morning, as we enter into this time of communion, I want us to take a moment and I want us to reflect on the God who is displayed in Exodus. Take a moment to think about the 10 plagues and how this God finds his ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth and the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Then after a brief moment of silence and reflection, I'll come back forward and I'll lead us together as a church family to take the communion meal together. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the loaf, broke it, blessed it, and said, this is my body. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, you are compassionate and gracious. You are slow to anger and you abound in love and faithfulness. You maintain your loyal love to thousands and you forgive us of our wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet you do not let us go unpunished, for we will all taste death. But in your Son, Jesus, we have hope that death is not the end. This morning, Father, we not only proclaim your justice, but also your graciousness. And we look forward to the resurrection. In the name of Jesus, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.